A promise had been given to David. David, with all his heart, wanted to do something really important for God. And God pushed that to one side and said, David, I will do something really special for you. The Lord declares to you, 2 Samuel 7 tells us, that the Lord himself, speaking to David, will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But, hundreds of years later, as they all went off to exile to Babylon, the kingdom David had came to an end. That was the end of the Davidic kings. The line came to an end. But to a man in Babylon, an exile called Daniel, who went into Babylon as an exile in his teens probably and lived the rest of his life there. He was called before King Nebuchadnezzar, the superpower of the day, the President Trump, I would guess, or the President Putin put together. That's what he would be. Who had had a dream and he couldn't remember it. And his wise men were told that they had to tell him what his dream was and then explain it. Well, of course, no one could, but Daniel came before God and got the interpretation. And this was what he said. Your majesty, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, you are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. We need to remember that when we think about the people who rule over our country too. That the dominion was given by God and they are accountable to God for all that they do or don't do. In your hands he has placed all people everywhere and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior for yours, to yours. Next, a third kingdom, and finally, a fourth kingdom. And in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. That's the promise that's been keeping the Israelite people for the last 500 years. The promise that one day God would sweep away the empires and bring in a kingdom that would last forever. His own kingdom. This thing that Daniel was told tells us two things. One was that no empire, no human empire, no human kingdom will last forever. They will all pass away. And if you know your history, you know that's exactly what has happened. And countries today that are seeking to make empires should beware. Because they all pass away from one human institution to another. But it also says this, I know how strong they are, they're all going to pass away. One day, a kingdom is going to come that will sweep all the other kingdoms away, bring them all to an end, and will itself last forever. They will be utterly overwhelmed and destroyed by this kingdom. That day is coming. Daniel was warned it wouldn't be in his lifetime. It would be way into the future, probably 500 or so years into the future. So when the announcement is made to Mary of her baby, God is announcing that the time for that kingdom has come. 
Now, I don't suppose Mary knew much of this. This is an extraordinary announcement that comes to her out of the blue, and it's very unlikely that she's comprehended all these nuances, but we're told that she pondered these things in her heart and mulled them over and no doubt consulted with other people. One of the first things that Jesus would say in his ministry was, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So the good news of the gospel is that the king has come. And if you go through your carols, whenever you're going to sing them, now any other time, go through them, you'll, you'll be staggered at the number of times Jesus is portrayed as the king. We just treat that as a kind of, well, he is, Jesus is king. But to this little baby, he is king. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't sound like a king. He doesn't act like a king. He doesn't live like a king. But he is the king. And even in his later life, he doesn't look like a king. He doesn't act like a king. He doesn't live like a king. But he's king. And when he's crucified, at the point when he looks least like a king, is the moment when he comes into his glory. What kind of kingdom? Paul writes to the Romans and says, it's a kingdom of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know any kingdoms or any empires throughout all of antiquity that can be described as righteous, peaceful and joyful? There is not one. But this kingdom will be that. This kingdom will be a kingdom of justice, says the writer to the Hebrews, that will last forever and ever. Has any kingdom last forever? Has any empire last forever? No, nor will they. This is a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom founded on love, full of hope, fragrant with goodness, a kingdom where there will be no disease or dementia, no hatred or lies, no rage no selfish ambition, no immorality, injustice or jealousy, no sorrow or pain, but only the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. They will be the distinguishing marks of this kingdom that this king is bringing in. No wonder it's good news. And one day, writes John in the book of Revelation, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world will be subsumed into this wonderful kingdom that will last forever. This is our hope. The world will not always be like this. So as always we will pray for our government because we are called to do so. We are going to implore God to give them wisdom that their rule will be just and right and good and compassionate. But in the end, they're not our hope. The hope is this kingdom. And Advent is more focused, my friends, on the fresh coming of the Lord than on the first coming. It's a time of preparation for his coming. A man called Lewis Smeads once asked a Christian audience, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Many hands showed. Then he asked, given the chance... Would you want to go tonight? And many of the hands went down in an embarrassed silence. And then he asked, Would you like to see the world we live in set completely to rights, with no more colds or cancers, prisoners or slaves, rape or murder, cruelty or war, where only love, justice and peace prevail, 
and a frenzy of hands gave him his answer. That, Smeads assured his audience, is just the world Christians can expect. That's what we're looking for. And that kingdom has already come in Jesus. That kingdom is already here. The theologians have a word or a phrase for it. They have the already, but not yet. It's already here, but not yet in its all its fullness. So we live in the time between the fact it's already come, but not in all its fullness. And if that is what the kingdom of God is going to be like in the future, that's what we seek to live like today. That's why Christmas is a good deal for people. It is good news. Because we as Christians get re-energised at Christmas as we do at Easter, as we do at Pentecost, as we do at Harvest. We come together and think, yes, this is the answer. This is the hope for all the world. There is no other hope. That's why we go and sing carols on the streets and send invitations out for people to come and share our services. A former Archbishop of Canterbury in his Christmas message of 2006, following the natural disasters of 2005 in Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Central America, as well as many man-made disasters, said that sometimes all we can do is close the gap of awareness and be there alongside the lonely and suffering. He was speaking at a Deptford drop-in centre. And Dr Williams said the centre's staff stressed that the point of their work wasn't to solve the problems, but chiefly to say to people that they don't have to face them alone. Because Jesus is the one who is completely alongside us with the resources to see us through whatever happens. Emmanuel, God with us, God saying you do not have to face it alone. The day is coming when the kingdom will be all as you want it to be. But until that time you do not have to face it alone. I am with you. And he equips us as his people to stand alongside people, not to fix everything. We often can't do that. Not to solve all the problems, but just to be there. When people are dying and the folk are going through the agony of that bereavement, often it's simply the company of others who sit and say, I have no solutions for you. I just didn't want you to be on your own at this moment. And it means more than words can say. Mother Teresa is quoted as saying this, I'm not sure exactly what heaven will be like, but I do know that when we die, and it comes time for God to judge us, he will not ask, how many good things have you done in your life? Rather, he will ask, how much love did you put into whatever it was you did? Do you think that love, in order to be genuine, has to be extraordinary? What we need to do is to love without getting tired. I am a little pencil, she said, in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. In this life we cannot do great things. We can only do small things with great love. At the end of our lives we will not be judged by how many diplomas we have received, how much money we have made, or how many great things we have done. We will be judged by I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. What possible difference could the birth of a baby in relative obscurity in a far-off country, in a far-off time, make to our world, a world that includes confusion and heartbreak, pain and sorrow, a world of injustice and greed, hunger and despair? Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman, he grew up in another village working in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years he was a wandering preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office, had a family or went to college. He never set foot inside a big city. He never travelled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. One of his friends turned him over to his enemies. Another denied him. The rest abandoned him to his fate. He went through the mockery of a trial and was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only property he had on earth, his clothes. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Long centuries have come and gone, and today he is a centrepiece of the human race. We are far within the mark when we say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of humanity upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. This is the good news, my friends, that we proclaim. May God be glorified for the giving of his Son. Amen.